Hey, this is Dave. You just listened to the brand new theme song for Drunken PM Radio, and I am really excited about it. Um, after years of using some stock audio stuff and then some of my own sloppy guitar playing, the podcast finally has its own theme, and it was created by Chris Demakes, who has a podcast of his own called Chris Demakes a Podcast, which is a really great exploration of different uh, techniques and practices that songwriters and music producers have used to create some really popular hit songs that you're, I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, I'm going to make sure to include uh, links in the show notes to Chris his podcast. And also, if his voice sounds familiar or the music is familiar, that's probably because he's in the band Less Than Jake, which is one of my favorite bands. So, Chris, if you hear this, thank you very much, man. I love the way it came out, and I'm super stoked about it. And now, on to the podcast. Hey, this is Dave Fryer. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. I am here with two people today to talk about the art of coaching. Uh, Christine Converse and Ross Berman are here. Um, just two disclaimers up front. I work with these people, not on the same projects, but we do work together, the same company. Um, but they're going to talk a little bit about their what they bring into this and how they view the job of coaching. So if you're somebody that's curious about that, you should pick up a lot of good stuff from this. You're also going to hear some movement because these people that I am talking with today are both very kinetic speakers. And they are actively moving about their home as they walk and think. So thank you for both taking time out to get your steps in and tell us what's going on today. <laughs> thank you for having us. I'm surprised. Uh, I don't know if Christine's going to be moving around or like jumping up and down with excitement to finally be on this podcast that she's been a fan of for well, so long. You can't tell, but oh I'm jumping God. up and down with excitement that I'm not just doing it with Ross again. So that's pretty cool. I know, right? <laughs> no one so, wants to talk to him all the time. <laughs> oh, I, I, we, he's really, really easy to interview, which is, which is great. So, Christine, what can you? How would you describe what you do? How do you describe your job to people that aren't familiar with agile or coaching at all? Um, I usually say I work with software development teams, but there is a lot more that I do that is outside of that um, okay. to describe what I do, and and really. Um, helping people to move towards company goals would be like the most simplistic way to describe what we do and how we work with people day to day. Okay. And Ross, do you Ross, how would you, um, describe that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, a little, a little the same. I think like when I used to talk about it, it's like behavior modification for executives, right? Like, there's a lot of psychological like group psychology and individual psychological gaming that goes on to, to get people to feel like they're the ones who change their mind and wanted to do things the way that we're kind of directing them to do. And I think that that's kind of where the, the art form of this is, um, you know, they say they want to go agile, but then we find out they don't know what that is and we have to kind of go in and, and, you know, have them understand what going agile as an executive is, how that impacts all the teams up and down the organization, and then, you know, get them through the emotional up and downs that it takes for them to, to make that change. So it's almost like armchair psychologist, uh, player coach sometimes, um, a little directive kind of leader at times as well. Okay. Now you just mentioned gaming and I know you come from a war games background, but I'm wondering I mean, to me, if somebody says, uses that word, right, it's got sort of a playful connotation behind it. And I'm wondering if, 
if you can comment on the idea that like, to me, this job is not making people do stuff or getting people to do stuff. It's like each person's a puzzle. Um, and just wondering if that is in sync with your way of like, is this more of like a exploratory fun activity for you, this job, or is it, I have to get these people to do this thing? It's a lot of fun for me. Um, but for probably weird different ways, right? Like coming from the wargaming background, but also coming from, um, military intelligence background before that and working with like psyops and interrogators and, and kind of figuring out how those jobs work. It's kind of interesting to me to figure out how each person kind of turns the corner and working with them to do that. So it's almost like in interrogations, you have to build a rapport, um, like the, the torture tactics don't work, right? You just need to have that relationship and, build the trust and it's kind of the same in coaching like the coaches that come in and you know to your point yell and scream and try to force the change usually fail and the ones that kind of come in that build the trusting relationship um kind of go forward and i know from my experience so christine and i work together now we also work together for a couple years before coming to leading agile so i know that she has a similar kind of approach and building that rapport and um, actually would sometimes use me as the person to come in and yell. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say there were like multiple things I wanted to touch on there. First of all, um, torture. Some people would say transformations are torture, but what motivates me and keeps me going as a coach is to actually see those people who are like the most resistant have that like light bulb moment and realize oh, this is actually helping me. This is going to help me do my job better. Or um, this is actually going to make my job easier. This is going to be better on me. And see like the internal realization that people have, like those moments are what keep, keep me going as a coach and what I work for every day. Okay. So I want to, I want to bring a scenario to both of you and see you respond to this. Um, we work with a guy who has this story he tells about a coaching gig he had where he was there, I think for like a year, he was there for an extended period of time. And like often happens, you know, with coaches, if you're in a place too long, at some point they're like, we got, got to switch them out. Right. They just don't have the impact anymore. And he had, he had been pushing really hard to get certain behaviors to change and they just wouldn't change. And he left. And a year later, he saw one of the people out somewhere and the person said, you know, all that stuff you kept telling us to do, we finally tried it and it actually worked. That was really cool. <laughs> But this is like after they had just, so you know, crazy. said all this bad stuff about him to the company and things. Um, is that, I mean, how often is it that they actually have the light bulb moment while you're there? Um, so I've seen it multiple times over the course, but also this is where like working with the coaching team is really important because you're able to switch those people out. Okay. Um, but Ross and I did a talk in Columbus um, a couple years ago where we talked about our co-coaching that we would do. And luckily Ross doesn't really care if people like him and I kind of do. So <laughs> we utilized that and he was, he would come in he'd be like, just use me as the bad guy. No big deal. So he would come in and he would yell at people or tell them what a bad job they were doing. And I would follow back on to that. And be like, hey, you know, we really don't want Ross to come back in because he's kind of mean. So like, why don't we just give this a try? Yeah, 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 that sounds good. And 
and it worked. Um, a couple of the people we were actually working with at the time were in the talk and chuckled because they knew had been a part of it. Um, but having that coach, you don't always have to be good and bad. Look, Ross doesn't care. He's always the hard or the heavy right. as he calls it, but um, you can play back and forth and you don't always have to be super mean, but having a co-coach, just a different voice, a different way to view it, it has always worked in coaching, having a team of coaches, having people to rely on to not be the only voice, but then to also be able to say, Hey, I've tried this. It's not working. What else can I try? Yeah. I think it's great too, because it gives the, the people that are being coached an opportunity. Like if they don't fit in with one person, I mean, I've had some coaching gigs where for whatever reason, there's just one personality that we're just like yeah. chocolate and toothpaste. It doesn't like we work. Just don't go together. And having another person <laughs> for them to interact with is really good. Yeah. It's funny because even though I'm the bad guy, there's some people who appreciate that. And if we're doing like one-on-ones with certain stakeholders and we do our stakeholder management plan, like there's certain people that, you know, Christine would take or somebody else on our team would take. And there's certain people that I would take because of matching personality types up and, things like that. Like just the other day, like I pissed off one of the client guys, you know, one of the higher up guys, but then we talked about it and we were fine because neither one of us have like feelings about work. Right. Um, <laughs> because we match up well, you know, um, and, and, and if I've I been done solely... <laughs> go ahead. Oh, if I had done that with another stakeholder that had, you know, feelings like I've been on the other end of that too, where, um, I had a coach say something that really pissed off another one of the clients to the point where, um, they wanted that person removed from the account, right? Because yeah. that, that client was just such an emotional being that hurting her feelings was, you know, something that she wouldn't accept again. Right. Um, and so, de- so depending on the situation, like I talked to her, but I don't talk to her about her performance. Okay. Right. Somebody softer like Christine or another one of the coaches on our team would talk to her about her performance, because if she heard about her performance in in a meeting that this one example for me, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been sweet either. It would have been harsh as well. Yeah. Right. And then the, the other aspect of that, I think, and then we'll let Christine say what she was going to say um, is if you already have like a longer relationship an existing relationship, it's a little easier to be the heavy you know, so some of these teams that uh, Christine would bring me in on the heavy, like some of them I had a long relationship with. So they, I was already a trusted commodity. I think like if we pulled you off the street, Dave, and said, okay, go be the heavy, like it wouldn't have worked because it doesn't work anyway. Um, <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> it, it did work in this regard because Christine was being nice on the back end. Right. But if it was just some random person coming in and yelling and then Christine yeah. going, well, we don't want, you know, this random guy to come back, they'd be like, well, just take his badge access away. He won't be able to come back in. Right. So. Right. And that actually like the next follow on thought was um, being thoughtful about the coach that you're bringing into the team or set of teams. And like, is it a personality match? It's huge. I mean, I'm like a giant Disney nerd, like Disney park, Disney nerd can tell you how to pair park or rides with like snacks i mean huge wow and there was one it, it, it's you, you talk with tom nerd. furland about this stuff 
He's huge into this. No, Disney. Oh, he's huge. But I should. Um, so I have been paired with other people who are known to also be Disney nerds because we have a common connection and we can build that trust through something personal and then work into the trust with work. And, and sometimes those can go hand in hand if you just have a good rapport um, okay. with that person to be able to open the door with coaching. All right. So I want, this is a totally different direction that I was planning on going, but since you just said that, I want to ask about it. So I always refer to those things as social tokens. Like there's things I can toss out that become a shortcut to trust for you. It's Disney. Like I'm wondering if, if, if you can each name like one or two specific go-tos that you find are really common ways for you to quickly build rapport, because for this to work, you have to build rapport with people, right? Yep. Even Disney, if you're going to be the Star heavy, Wars. you got to build. Okay. Yep. Nerding out. Um, so I spent years as a tester. So okay. being able to, you know, sympathize with the testers who are being the last person holding the bag and a waterfall transformation yeah. that's starting. Um, I can gain trust really quickly um, by being able to talk the talk with them. Okay. And, and having them turn into like mini coaches until I can gain the trust to actually influence the whole team. Okay. So Ross, I'm curious to hear yours. And then I have a follow-up to this, but go ahead. What other yeah, than uh, the Mandalorian? <laughs> yeah, no, I try to learn their business as fast as possible. Um, okay. So they, they believe that I know what to do to help them specifically, even though the transformation in and of itself may be using the same uh, techniques and practices and systems that I would use anywhere. I can speak to it in their language as opposed to just throwing agile vernacular up. And I read really fast and can soak that stuff in. So that's been helpful. Okay. Um, the other thing is like kids, sports, you know, food. Like I like to cook. So talking about food, like even if the other person doesn't like to cook, everybody likes to eat it. So, okay. you know, stuff like that. All right. So how did you both learn to do this? I've never asked anybody this question before, but I'm really curious. Like where, where did you develop the knowledge that if I'm going to build trust, I've got to meet them on things they're interested in first. Uh, so I feel like when I first became, you know, title manager, like I learned this really quickly to be able to talk to like my new team uh, that I had to build like the personal relationship. And I feel like I learned a lot of my coaching ability there also, because I had some really good leaders who were really open and willing to just work with me day to day. But Dave, we've had this conversation. I kind of feel like there's either you have coaching in you, it's something inherent, or you don't. Yep. And so if you don't, you need to build it. So okay. how do you build it? By reading, practicing. And this is where I feel like Ross and I working together for so many years, that he's helped me build my coaching skills because he is someone I trust right. to be able to practice things on. And, and that's where it goes back to the coaching team, co-coaching. Having that trusted person at work to be able to practice and bounce ideas off of and not be scared that there's anything yeah. other than just inherent trust and wanting to help you grow your career. And good intent. Yeah. Yep. Is, is huge. 
And I attribute a lot of my latest success to Ross at work because he's been such an awesome proponent for that. Okay. So I just, for the folks that are listening to me, a parallel to this would be if a product owner is having trouble saying no, and they have a scrum master or even a team member that they trust or another product owner and, and respect practicing saying no and having the other person play the role of whatever executive they think is going to be difficult. Um, that's the same kind of thing, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And or- you don't have to have like a coach title to coach. And I know I want to get back to Ross's answer. Yeah. But you don't have to have a coach title to coach. You don't have to lead to have a leadership role to be a leader. Okay. Just taking that on and and showing the team, yeah. this is where we need to go. Okay. Russ, what about you? Yeah, that's a great point, Christine. Like leadership is a thing that you do. It's not a title, right? Like I've had this conversation with everybody ever. I think Dave and I had a conversation yeah. about this. Yep. Like management is a thing that you do. Leadership is a thing that you have, right? So I think like I learned these skills a little bit in um, the fraternity world in college, my first go, uh, and then also in the army. Like I think the most impactful thing that I ever witnessed and experienced was basic training in the army as far as like getting a group of people to follow your lead. And it was the drill sergeants going from you know, the unifying thing around like 60 people that just met everybody. The unification is hating the drill sergeant. And then in nine weeks, every one of those people would step in front of a bullet to save his life. Okay. Right. So it's like, how do how does that person do that? Do you gain that trust? Um, like what are those leadership aspects? And it was amazing to be a part of and kind of watch from the inside and not just like, you know, 20 minutes in a movie or something. Yeah. But yeah, the drill sergeant goes from the most hated to the most respected person you've ever met in nine weeks. And I think like learning those skills and, and setting the bar high demanding, um, demanding success in a way that's not uh, prohibiting failure, but like making people reach their capability and driving people, getting people to work together as a team. Um, okay. It was very fundamental for me. So in, in that context, the, the, the person that's the recruit is sort of the mark and the drill sergeant's the one who's converting them or, or, or providing them with opportunities to become something different. Does it matter if the, if the person who's entering as a recruit, if they know that this is going to happen, like if somebody was, a, was just in, you know, signing up, and they listened to this and they met their drill sergeant and were able to look up and think, God, what a jerk. But I know he's totally doing this just to screw with our heads to make us hate him. Does that matter or does it still work? Nope. It doesn't matter. Cause I knew it was going to happen. Uh, my dad okay. was in the army. Um, and you know, I knew a bunch of other people in the army or who had been in the army. So okay. it was just, you know, I knew it was going to happen, but it was still amazing to watch. Like I, I wasn't needing to be flipped. Like I wanted to graduate. I wanted to go on to school. Like I never got in trouble. Um, I was the honor graduate from basic training in my group, right? Like pretty easy breezy as far as basic training can go, but it was yeah. still amazing to watch the okay. people resist the people buck authority, you know, people yeah. infighting in the group the first couple of weeks. And then, seeing a team at the end and we're talking two drill sergeants on 60 recruits. Okay. So when the two of you walk into a transformation, um, 
how like what's the parallel there because you don't want these i don't know if you want the, them to yeah i'm assuming you don't want them to hate you but it sounds like part of it you're positioning them so that you know ross is the bad cop christina you're the good cop i mean do you have to find different things for them to all unite around or are they all united in the oh my god agile's going to be a pain in the butt kind of thing um so i think I've walked into multiple transformations where people are at different spots. Okay. But overall, I think that most of them understand they're going to have to go through the hard changes. They don't understand how hard those changes are going to be. Okay. And I even think that sometimes people have no idea why they're even resisting. Or that they they're are. Or they don't even know they are resisting. Not yeah. And I mean, they just are like, why can't we just go back to doing what we were doing? Yeah. And, and the reminder sometimes of where we're going and why we're going can help. Um, but I mean, overall, they're going to change or they're not going to change okay. right now. And okay. being able to focus on the ones who do want to change and then focusing on, okay, who is still left or maybe they're not going to listen to me. We need another coach. We need yes. another person that they trust. So remember the last place we were at Christine, we challenged them to prove us wrong and prove it with data, not just guesses. Right. And we came into a specific team that had two really strong architects who wanted to be, waterfall architects and like the waterfall process. And we challenged them to prove us wrong. We said, this is what we believe is going to happen. Um, we're going to track these data points and we're going to show you that your planning is 300 to a thousand percent inaccurate. And we did, we showed them and they, they tried to prove us wrong doing things their way. Right. So it's almost the we same kind of theory as making them hate us, but really we made them hate the thing that we were doing and game it with us, right. you know, get a competitive thing. And when they lost, right. One of those architects actually got hired as a coach within nine months. Okay. <laughs> so how do you create safety? I mean, we talk, people talk in agile about safety all the time. How do you create safety in that kind of situation? Like to walk in and say, okay, I'm going to prove you try to find a way to prove to me that I'm, that what I'm saying is wrong. I mean, that's, it's not a safe environment. It doesn't sound safe to me. It is safe because nobody was going to lose their job over it. It's okay. like, look, I'll give you yep. one last chance. I'll give you one last chance to do this the crappy way that you're doing it. Okay. I'm showing you and there there's was a, a better time way. Box. Okay. There right? was a time box set did, on that here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it, it took Ross working. So we, the difference in coaching, Ross working with leadership, me working with the team members, and really tackling it from all angles to be able to provide them that safety to go out and prove us wrong. Okay. Now with, with your, so I know Ross, you, you focus on the senior and Christina, it's, it's more on the team level. Are you able to play good cop and bad cop with the senior executives the way you are with the teams? Or is that mostly like a team thing? Oh, there's just bad cop with a senior executive. Too. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I can actually switch it back and forth. I have a funny story. So um, at this last place, when we started, um, we actually took over for a failed transformation. Okay. And, you know, everybody just assumed that 
that this transformation stuff was going to die. And, um, I was like, okay, we're going to start with this one team because this one team is architecturally the closest to get to like a DevOps platform. They were cloud native, all that good stuff. And, um, you know, got introduced to the leadership and I was like, all right, like I'm going to go to your, your portfolio team meeting and then we'll chat afterwards. This is a, you know, vice president of product and we're going to chat afterwards and see how it's going. So I get on the call and I think Christine was on the call too, listening in, um, maybe a couple of the other coaches that worked with us and the, the VP is talking about user stories and like talking about specific developers working on specific user stories in a portfolio meeting. And I'm like, Holy crap. Like no wonder they're broken. Everybody's yeah. worried about user stories and everybody's worried about Epic roadmaps and features and what's going on next. Like everybody's just like knee deep in the now. And I was like, okay. So after the call, it's kind of, you know, tracking down the VP is like, Hey, uh, I can't wait to get your feedback on this meeting. And he sounded like, I just did an awesome job. Like I knew this guy was working on this user story. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a ring in a second. So I called him and he was like, Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Hey, it's Russ. If I ever hear you say the word user story again, I'm going to come through the phone, slap the shit out of you. And he was like, what? And I was like, what are you talking about user stories for, man? Like you're a VP in charge of revenue in charge of epics. Like you don't need to be talking about user stories. You need to be focused on epics. You need to let your teams work. And he was like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't think so. You know, he was, he was mad. Right. And then three months later we're out for beers. And he's like, Hey, uh, I didn't really like your style at first, Ross. And I go, I'm sure you didn't buddy. <laughs> he's like, but I see what you're doing now. And I was like, well, that's good. <laughs> now, how long did it take you to get to have the conversation about what he should be paying attention to? Like, like what to help him understand, like, this is why this is not your job. You have other things, other questions you should be answering. And, and why are you asking the questions you're asking? Like you got to that point. Yeah, I'm I mean, assuming, right. We did. And it was, um, you know, that was what Christine and I focused on. And this is the same group that had those two architects. So this was our first interaction in this new transformation. Christine had worked the previous transformation um, before I had started. And this is our first kind of foray. So I'm already kind of stirring things up. Everybody's like, we're going to prove this guy wrong. There's nothing wrong with, you know, P talking about user stories. Yeah. Um, blah, blah, blah. And we set the challenge and we said, this is what you should be doing. We did a bunch of training. Um, we threw out some of the things the previous coaches were doing that were non-value add um, for the place that the, these teams were at because they had not transformed at all. So there's no reason measuring transformation success right now because they haven't gotten there. They're still doing things in the complete old way. And we focused mainly uh, building that system of delivery, but we did it around uh, basing it on a different mindset. Like we kind of art like gamed it that way. Like even though we were putting in a system that was predictable and a system that could be repeated, we made it seem as though we were changing their mind okay. about how work is done. And that's true, but it's not really what we were supposed to be doing. That's just the side effect. But we actually talked about it in this realm you know, as the primary thing that we need to do. Like you guys are almost there. You just don't think about it right yet. You need to think about it this way. 
So it sounds like you have to be very empathetic towards them, be really good at reading people and interpreting their responses and their reactions to things. And I'm wondering where you each developed that skill. I mean, maybe Christine, maybe you can go first. Is that like always been a native thing for you? You could just pick up on that. Yeah. Um, so my mom will probably tell you, would probably tell you this also is that I I've always been pretty good at reading people, but it's something that I had to develop over time. So it wasn't something that came supernatural to me. I didn't feel like. So there have been lots of, and this is where the safety comes in, co-coaching, having trusted leaders, because I've read books about body language before. Understanding that when someone is taking their foot and pointing it towards the door, they're trying to escape the conversation. They don't really want to have the conversation. So you're kind of holding them there if you're continuing to talk and understanding some of those subtle things that people do um, as a coach that inherently they do without even thinking about it um, can help kind of drive the conversation and, and help you actually gain a little bit of trust with the person. Hey, I know you're probably busy, um, but can we just have five more minutes? You know, if their toe is pointed out or they're looking to the left, they're actually thinking about something. So give them space to think about it. Don't rush the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Being able to understand those things and build um, on that and build your skills as a coach is something I feel like is super important also. Cool. All right. And Ross, what about you? Um, Yeah, I have a really hard time being empathetic. Do you um, say, wait, hold on, no, 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 I'm, I'm, that's not going to fly. You said that last time. I, I think that you, you can you cannot be absent of empathy to do what you do and to be able to read people the way that you do. Uh, I don't know. Like a lot of what Christine said is true around like reading books and picking things up, you know, having training, like empathy is caring, not observing. Right. And I think like, so you have more like a sociopathic kind of empathy. You can read it, but no. you just don't. It doesn't matter. No, I just don't have empathy for work. Like, and, and Christine will tell you, like, I've told people, you just need to put, you know, your big boy and girl pants on and do your job, like, in meetings. Like, when it gets to a point where, um, and we started talking about resistance, and there's passive resistance and active resistance. Like, passive resistance is easy because it's really people just fighting the change with their fight or flight kind of yeah. mentality. You know, so just getting them in that safe space, like you were talking about, like whatever that is, I can figure out what it is. I don't care what it is, which is probably why I'm so good at figuring out what yours is and what this other person's is and what that other person's is because it's kind of irrelevant. Okay. Um, It's just, you know, people need to feel safe, which is important. Um, But really like a good way to get people to feel safe in the business from my perspective is to understand where they want to go in the business. And then okay. like, if you're all talking the same language and saying, okay, we need to get this product out first and that product out second, there's these dependencies. We need to track those. Like you're not finding a safe space. You're, you know, being kind of part of the team delivering the product. And that gets, that gets tough for people with empathy because that's when coaches go native, you know, when they feel like they're part of the team delivering, not part of the coaching team transforming the organization. So it's like a fine line yeah. Two that you have to walk. And, and that's you, have to, like, you have to be self-aware of that yeah. as a coach working on a team 
am I too close to these people? Am I allowing their excuses to get in the way of us actually continuously improving? Well, and that's where that partner in coaching can be valuable, right? Because they can pull you out yes. and start going too deep. Okay. Yeah. And, and having a team of coaches to bounce things off of and the problems that you're having with the people and, and checking each other, having those tough conversations with the coaches on your team. Um, you know, is, are you allowing that as an excuse or is this an actual thing that is impeding the transformation? Yeah. And I feel like people, Dave, I feel like people feel good about a job well done, right? Like if, if a product gets to market faster, like people feel good about that. Yeah. Like irrespective of their feelings of like how awesome their old job used to be you know, where they wrote documents and now they're not writing documents, but they're getting product out. They're like, okay, like I used to love writing these documents, um, but getting product out four months faster was great. And we all got our bonus this year because we got an extra three months of revenue that we weren't planning on, you know? So that's awesome. Like, I think people celebrate those successes. Okay. I think if you can get people to that success, you don't have to necessarily do it in a way that's, creating all that safe space because the success is the safe space. So it's like, you know, what was his name? Bobby Knight. Okay. Yeah. Like Bobby Knight's throwing chairs and choking people and it's a madhouse, right? But he's winning basketball games. You know, he's always in contention. Um, he's winning, you know, titles, right? whatever that looks like, but it's not safe. Like his players probably hate playing for him, but his players don't hate winning. But they trust. So they kind of suffer through it. There's still trust. Right. There's trust that if they put up with it, it'll pay off in the end. If they trust that if you're really gruff with them, there's still going to be this this shining moment at the end. It's all going to be worth it. Right. And at the same time, like, I think Christine does this as well. Like every once in a while, Christine will get fired up on a call from a coaching perspective, but she also repairs it fast. <laughs> right. Like, and I do that too. Like I'll get upset on a call and I'll repair it fast or I'll go off on an email and then I'll call and repair it. So it's like, look, we're all trying to do the same thing. We all have some kind of emotion tied to our work product, right? So we just need to figure out how to align the emotion and the work product to go forward. And I don't, I'm not sure. Like maybe we do, maybe we, maybe we have more empathy than I think, Dave. I don't know. Well, it also, it sounds to me with, with what both of you are saying that, there has to be, you have to find a way to establish not just positive intent, but shared intent. You know, we might, you and I might disagree. I had this with a coworker of ours this morning. Like we were having this conversation. It got really heated and really fiery, but I don't think either one of us at any point was like personally upset. We were just revved up about the topic. We all know we want a good outcome for it. And, you know, sometimes things get a little whatever. And, if they trust you, that's a big deal. But how do you build that trust in, in your intent? How, how do they, how do you get them to, to believe in you? So I know personally, like if I'm revved up and I have played the heavy before, um, and if I'm revved up, I'm a quick follow on with a one-on-one -on -one conversation with whoever I think I need to talk to if that's five people, I'm going to go talk to the five people one-on-one -on -one, okay. and I'm going to have a very transparent conversation. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the situation or I'm upset at the situation. I, 
you know, we have done this, this, and this, and this is frustrating to me. And having that super transparent conversation one-on-one, allowing that other person to have that very transparent conversation back with me, we're in a safe space. I'm not going to be mad at you personally. We are both trying to work towards getting this work done. Um, and And I have always seen that it, it doesn't always get resolved, but what it does is it opens up the conversation to have that real conversation yeah. that maybe we weren't having initially. And you're being very because everyone vulnerable. was frustrated or emotional, and you're right, you're being vulnerable. Yeah, you're opening up. I'm frustrated. Here's what I'm feeling. Okay. And I I use a lot of that in my personal life also, like coaching through an argument. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I do that all the time. And I feel like it's helped me with my relationships over the years also. Okay. Ross, what about you? Yeah. I think like the humility of saying that you screwed up, like even if you don't believe it, like sometimes it's important, right? <laughs> like, Oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have gotten upset. You know, it's totally cool that you're not doing your TPS <laughs> cover sheet, even though I sent you eight memos about it. Right. Um, but I'm I sorry. Like I expected some... you to not suck at your job. My yeah, bad. I'm sorry. My expectations were above <laughs> your capabilities. No, it's like, you know, and this is the thing, like where, where I get to, like, if you're doing this on purpose, like you've become, you've, you've transformed from a teammate to an enemy, right? Yeah. If you're resisting because you don't know any better or you don't even know you're resisting or you're just scared, yeah. like that's a lot easier for me to work with. But if you're, if you're trying to stop me from doing my job and anybody I've ever worked with will hear me say this a hundred times. The one, the thing that pisses me off the most in life is when somebody else gets in the way of me doing my job. Right. So like if an active resistor is getting in the way of me finishing a team's training or finishing a you know step on the transformation journey or whatever that's, that looks like, like that's when I start getting frustrated. And like in, in one case, it was the whole team. Wow. you know, that was just not doing stuff. And I told them to grow up and start doing their work, you know, and I had to talk to HR and HR was like, what'd you say? And I told them, they're like, you shouldn't say that. I was like, they should probably do their work. <laughs> and you're like, Bobby you Knight know? throws <laughs> chairs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also like Christine will also tell you like over the last three years, I've gotten a little more mellow. Well, I would imagine that the two of you say that. But the two of you together <laughs> balance each other out. So that, I mean, to me, that's one of the interesting things about this model because I've not, I think I've seen examples of this, but I've not ever thought about it consciously as a thing is having a pair that are, you know, for when we do the color coding thing, like a red and a blue, which I'm assuming that's what you both are. Is that right? Uh, no. No. <laughs> oh. Um, I am a red yellow. Okay. So wow, I like really? To get stuff done and I like to have fun. fun. Yep. Okay. Yep. A little bit of an ego. And mm-hmm. Ross is all blue. Little bit of an ego. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, red, white, yellow, pretty much 30% each. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, that's not what I would have guessed. But either way, you, you found that you're complimentary, right? And, we, and- so red, red relationships need something to compete on. And bad red, red relationships will compete <gasps> against each other on the yeah. same thing. And Christine and I compete against each other in a bunch of different stuff, but it's always <laughs> towards like getting the right thing. We, we always have a shared vision. Yeah. So we, we gamify things. Yeah. Okay. We gamify yeah. things across each other. And, and Will, who works with us, is also a red 
and we kind of with the three of us kind of you know feed off each other like will and i like joke around about which people like us better you know like oh like well, i have more stakeholders than you because more stakeholders like me like we have stupid competitions like that um christine and i'll compete around like you know who's right about something like we'll each have an idea and then we'll go off and we'll like learn from our assumptions or whatever, but we'll both think we're right. And then like at the end we'll laugh and be like, Oh no, you were right this time or vice versa. Right. So, but it's all healthy and it's all focused forward. Okay. So I think like the red reds who don't get along, they're competing with each other, not competing, like competing with each other, trying to get the other one to underperform, yeah. not competing in a way that, that provides everybody kind of that, that accolade or that success. Okay. And if, if, if for the people that are listening, if you're considering moving into coaching, I hope you're picking up on the fact that both of these people seem to have a lot of fun doing the work that they're doing. And which is awesome because coaching, I found it to be sometimes really fun. And sometimes it was just like your soul was getting beat against the wall when people don't want to yeah. do it and they're resistant and they don't listen and everything you try doesn't work. I mean, that those days are hard. And there's a lot of those. Yeah, days. those days are very hard. And and I say this all the time. Like I am so drained from coaching teams that are just even more. Like I give everything to all of my coaching all day long. And then to have to go to a coaching team that is also draining like that yeah. is very hard on a coach. You get burnt out very quickly. So being able to have a, and build a coaching team where you not only have people who like to get stuff done, you have people who are empathetic, who are fun about their work and, and like to have fun. Being able to have all of those types of personalities on one team yeah. is like people, the ideal coaching team to be able to support each other. That's awesome. So uh, people that can put you back together when you have those rough days. Yeah. Or, I mean, we're psychologists. Right. Right. Or, Hey, I learned this really stupid fun fact today. Would you like to hear it just to get a laugh? Yeah. Right. And being able to have that kind of fun so that you smile and you forget, okay, this was a hard day, but I'm going to go back to it tomorrow. Cool. So I have one final question for both of you. Um, we called this podcast, the art of coaching. So what is the art part of it for you? Maybe Ross, you go first since, since Christine was just talking, where's the art? Yeah. So for me, the art is getting your work done and half of your work is getting people to do something different and be happy about it. Like there's an art form that I think that's kind of what you're poking at. Yeah. I think there's skills that you can learn, you know, to the soft skills that you can learn to build that trust, to gain that influence. Like looking at, um, you know, like Christine was talking about the body language, uh, interrogation tactics, like whatever it looks like to gain that trust and influence, but tying them all together to make people happy about completely changing their lives eight hours a day, five days a week, if they're lucky, like that's where the art comes in. And it may seem like empathy, Dave. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't, know, you I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is. It's, it's that, you know, it's just that ability to get people going. And I end up like, you know, liking the people that I coach or whatever, but it takes me a long time, like to like people, right? Okay. Like I don't like new people like by default, like I'm very guarded with that. So like, I'll get to know people, gain those relationships and they'll trust me way before I trust them. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, I'll also have like super transparent, hard conversations with them. Like I did recently, one customer's like, I don't like that you did this. And I'm like, I don't like that you did that. I'm like, okay, well, we won't do that anymore. Like, all right, cool. And then it's, it's over, right? Like you can't do that day one. It's, yeah. it's hard to recover from. And that's the art, like recovering from, and, and you know, getting people to trust you when you're completely changing 40 hours of their week. If they're lucky, they only work, you know, 40 hours a week. Yeah. Okay. And Christine, what about you? So I'm going to go um, super hippie on this response here and that the art is the people. Um, every transformation is different. Every person is different. No situation. You could have this one person resisting for the same reason and they will flip the bulb on their, their mind differently because okay. it, these transformations are about the people this work that we do is about the people. Yes, we produce products. Yes, we grow businesses. But all in all, it's about the people that are in those businesses and growing those businesses. And, and that is the art of it. No situation is ever going to be the same. And working with these people every day to help them work towards these business goals is always different. And that to me is the art um, and the value of a good coach. Oh, that was awesome. I don't want to ask any more questions. That was a really good ending. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what if, what if people want to get in touch? Awesome. With you? Christine, what's the best way for folks to reach you if they have more questions? Um, probably on LinkedIn. So, okay. um, I think it's Christine converse one. So linkedin.com okay. slash I'll Christine converse one. I will put the link in the show notes and Ross, you got, you want to give out awesome. your, your, um, I don't know, your, your Instagram and, and your Pinterest <laughs> account and your animal. Yeah. Well, if you can find, <laughs> yeah, if your listeners can find that, um, <laughs> let me know. I have some folks at the NSA that might want to uh, get in touch with them. Um, no, no, the link is good. The leading agile bio. I know that's all the good stuff you put in the, in the sound or in the, the notes of the show. Dave, yep. I really appreciate this, man. This was fun. Oh, this was um, fun. This, really cool. this was fun. Thank you for letting us nerd out a little bit. On oh, cooking. no, this was a blast. <laughs> I appreciate you both doing it. And enjoy your, your holidays. Hopefully they'll be safe. Thank you. Yeah, Thank likewise. You.